As I continue the sermon series from Acts, will it be in Acts chapter 20 beginning at verse 17? I've spent last Sunday doing the first part of Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through about 28. I'll be doing, concentrating on verse 28 to the end of verse 38. But first, Psalm 23. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here ends the reading of God's word from the Old Covenant. Now Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. The Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke, chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Let's hear the word of the Lord from the New Covenant. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, that's Paul sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend, to you, uh, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Here ends the reading of God's word from the New Covenant. Who do you call when you're sick? You probably call your doctor, or maybe you have a nurse friend, or maybe there's a doctor in your family, whatever. You, you turn to that person for help when you're sick. Who do you turn to for help when somebody's taking you to court, or you've been arrested or falsely charged with some crime? You probably want to turn to your lawyer or a lawyer. You call a lawyer. If you don't know one, you want to find a good lawyer. Who do you turn to for help when you're in a spiritual situation? My guess is you turn to yourself first. You might turn to your family next. You might turn to another Christian after that. And maybe you turn to your pastor and ask if you could talk to your pastor or one of the elders in the church. What if your doctor's incompetent? The doctor gives you the medicine, the medicine makes you worse. He didn't diagnose the correct disease. And now you're worse off than you were if you had never taken the medicine and never gone to the doctor. Or what if your lawyer is incompetent? He gives you bad legal advice. What might happen to you if you get bad legal advice? Well, you might end up going to jail. You might end up losing some money or property. Or you might lose your reputation, or all three. Might be the consequence of bad legal advice. But now, what if your pastor is incompetent? Bad preaching. What might happen to you? Well, the worst thing is you go to hell. You never heard the gospel because he never presented it to you. Or you might just be weak, spiritually weak and unprepared to face the trials that come in life. Something 
tragic would happen, some difficulty would come, and you would have no clue what God has said about how you should endure the unendurable or, or, or deal with some, some sin in your life or in somebody else's. You have no clue. In other words, if your doctor or lawyer is bad, then you will suffer health problems or legal problems. But if your pastor is bad, you might suffer eternally or you might suffer something that endures for your life because you never got the word of God. You never got it. You never got what God wanted you to hear because your pastor was incompetent. Before you get too nervous, let me tell you, first and foremost, your true and eternal pastor, your shepherd, your true shepherd, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says so in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now, after Jesus' suffering, his death, his resurrection and ascension into heaven, he, had been grant, he, is grant, he is granted all power and authority in heaven and earth, and he gives gifts to men. And an appropriate place to look for what those gifts are is Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the same elders here. So apparently he wrote a letter to them. After he said goodbye to them, he still communicated with them. And in, in the letter we call Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to them and says, and I'm going to take portions of chapter 4, verse 8 through 12 here. When Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints and for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So those gifts that Christ has given his bride, the church, he has given her these men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers. And the apostle Paul was one of them. He was one of those men's, men who were gifted, called by Christ, transformed by Christ as a gift to the body of Christ on earth, the church, his bride. And Paul did the work of the ministry. Paul had some, has here in this passage some last words to the Ephesian elders, the church that he had, had lived with and he had provided for his own living with them. The general words that, that Paul has for the elders are this, that they should pay attention, pay careful attention to two things, themselves as elders and to all the church of God that they were over. Let me remind us all that these men should have had certain qualifications. Paul writes of those qualifications to Timothy and Titus. Let's just remind ourselves that these weren't just like, oh, I want to be an elder, so I think I'll be an elder. I gave a lot to the church. That's not what we're talking about. But Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy saying this, 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, no polygamy, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So these aren't just men that are randomly said, well, you know, here's a guy who can do this. No. Paul had gone to Ephesus. He had written to Timothy later about the characteristics, the qualifications for elder. They must know the word of God. They must be well taught. They must be able to explain the gospel. They must be respectable, hospitable, etc. In other words, they have to have Christ-like character traits. Not sinless, but they have to show ability, capability. And Paul would have known the elders he's now talking to in this passage. He would have known these elders. He would have been part of the selection process for these elders. And what he's telling them is, you elders from Ephesus, you should be in a condition of constant alertness. And you should be concerned about your own state spiritually. And you should also be concerned about all the people in the church. Why be alert for their own soul's condition? Aren't they like super Christians? No. They have qualifications and they also are men who are still weak in times. And pastors and elders together have special challenges and special temptations. To summarize it, pastors and elders can be worldly. They can do the work of the church in a way that's just an end to making money or getting ahead. I'll be a pastor in this church and then I'll reach a certain point and I'll go be a pastor in this bigger church to make bigger money. Or, and then after that, I'll go into this church and I'll, I'll be the one who brings this church to another level and so forth. And so I, I'm a, a man who's on a career path through church to church to church. I can be worldly. A pastor can be worldly that way. Or they can treat, they could stay in one church and just treat the church as a business. Well, we provide certain services for you and you have this program over here for the single adults and we have this program over here for the children and this is for the widows and this is for the orphans and we're going to do all these programs and services and you give money to me and we'll organize the business and appropriately hire staff and, and so we'll run it like a nice business. There's also the temptation for pastors and elders to become too aggressive or too defensive. You know, think about Christ. He was, he was perfectly defensive. People came and made charges against him, and he just put them in their place at times by defending himself. You know, he would just pull out scripture or say something that would just put them in their place. He defended himself at times. Other times you would think, well, Christ is too aggressive. He goes into the temple. 
And he, the way we would say contemporary, he blows his top. He makes a whip and beats people, beats animals, turns over table. He violently destroys what they had made, a den of iniquity, which was supposed to be a place of prayer. He did, he's a terrorist getting rid of all these people. That is an aggressiveness that we sometimes go, look, you can't really be. Yes, he threw out these animals. He threw out these people. He got violent with a whip because my father's house should be a place of prayer and you made it a den of iniquity. That's aggressive. I don't plan on doing that here. Don't be worried. But that is the wisdom of Christ. You would think, well, he's meek and mild all the time. He's, he's just defending himself. Well, then there's this other side. Pastors can err either way, and elders can err in either, either direction. The other challenge for pastors and elders and churches is that, I know it doesn't sound kind to say this, but sometimes you people don't act the way you're supposed to act, and when somebody tells you something, you don't respond, I mean, from the scripture, you don't respond immediately the way the pastor and the elder might want even when they're qualified and confirmed by others and as being called by Christ to the office of apostle, pastor, elder. Paul was called by Jesus Christ supernaturally. You'd think, well, of course people would respond to the apostle Paul's preaching and teaching. Well, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians that we call 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 10, Paul writes to these people who knew him face to face. There are people in Corinth who say about Paul, and Paul quotes this to them. They say, for they say, his letters, meaning Paul's letters, are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. And this is, I mean, he was supernaturally called and gifted by Jesus Christ personally. And he's going, he went to Corinth, established that church there, and now they're reflecting on Paul. He wasn't very impressive physically. And his, his speech was not impressive either. So yes, pastors and elders have their challenges. Even apostles have their challenges with the people of God. Hebrews writes as a summary of the relationship, the end of Hebrews writes as a summary of the relationship between pastors, elders, leaders of the church and the, and the congregation. And it says this, it says this in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And that's not to say there's not going to be a bumpy road between an apostle and a congregation or an elder and a congregation, but it's saying that there should be a, a characteristic of a relationship that is filled with grace and love and, 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 and uh, graciousness and forgiveness on both parties. Without that, the relationship could be just hard, groaning. It could also be filled with joy. And what Hebrews is saying is that there's a profit for the congregation if you have a good pastor, good elder. And there's also an accountability for the pastor and elder to Christ for how, he, how that person or 
men are doing as they shepherd the sheep of Christ's. So let's turn from that. How should a pastor and an elder view the church and its members? They should view them as sinners for whom Christ died and who belong to Jesus Christ. These people are not consumers, not ordinary people. They're not Americans. They are Christ's. They are special because Jesus Christ shed his blood for them. They were bought. You were bought by the bloody death of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. They are special not because they are nicer, smarter, kinder, or better in any way than other human beings. They are special because Christ died for them. Who made the elders? Paul says, who made the elders here? Who made the elders to be over the church of God? Verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God made them overseers over people in the city of Ephesus, at the church at Ephesus. Paul did not make them elders. It wasn't because they voted on them. Now, Paul acknowledged the giftedness that God had made these men elders. See, Paul is saying, God chose you, the Holy Spirit chose you. We just recognized that that's what God did. They're not self-made men. They're not men that we trained and they're all sort of like, you know, tied up like a, a little ribbon. They've got a nice sort of package. We gave them that package by whatever. No, you... You do not make an elder or a pastor. God makes the man. The Holy Spirit makes the man. What's an overseer? That's an interesting word, the word overseer. It has a very sort of official meaning in the original language. And it has a non-religious meaning. It's a person who has special responsibility for someone else. The closest thing we would have would be a guardian. Like somebody who's underage. There's a guardian over you to, to help you grow up. So an overseer is a person who has responsibility and authority to safeguard someone else to make sure that things go the way they're supposed to go for that person. Why has God made these overseers, these elders? What's their purpose? It's there. To care for the church of God, which he obtained, which Jesus obtained with his blood. It's to care for. Parents care for their infant child. Infant child can, at the beginning, do nothing. Can't walk, can't talk, can't say what hurts, can't speak. Mother or father or whoever takes total responsibility for that infant. Child grows up, speaks, you start talking to the child, you train the child and so forth. So there's that care for the child. Well, Paul talks about being like a father for the church. 
And so there's this care, this fatherly care, family sort of care of, of elders and pastors to nurture, to lead, to guide, and protect the sheep, the people. So that's what, what Paul says about them as elders. He knew them personally. He knew they were gifted and qualified. Um, but then he, he says something that is really pretty scary. He warns the elders and pastors. And he says this in verse 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples, the disciples after them. Now he's addressing this to the the pastors and elders that are ordained, qualified men. And he's saying, those sheep that you're supposed to care for can't do it themselves. Now you can teach them things and that will help them do things for themselves, but you've got to be alert to care for them because there's an enemy coming. There's an enemy coming who's like a wolf that would literally destroy a sheep and scatter the sheep. And so there will be men who will come in and you have to be ready for them. The sheep are easily killed. They can't defend themselves as thoroughly as you can as an elder or a pastor. And here's, here's what Paul is basically saying to them. <laughs> I'm giving you forewarning. There's a danger that is coming. It's not just if it's coming. It is coming. There are going to be these men that come in and want to kill the sheep, want to destroy them. There are traits that he gives for these, these wolves, these men who come in. One, they're after people with no mercy. They won't spare anyone. Doesn't mean they come in and announce, I'm a wolf, I'm going to get your sheep, or kill people, spiritually. And they will come in from outside the church. They will come in. And this is the scariest part. He says, from among yourselves. He's addressing the elders. From among yourselves will come wolves. They, these wolves, don't come in showing sharp teeth or bringing, you know, swords or guns or... They're not coming as terrorists with weapons of war. They're coming with words. And they're going to come with words that are twisted, distorted. They will speak distorted, twisted things, ideas that are deformed. They might have a little truth, but they're deformed and defective. And to summarize it, these, these, these men are going to come in and say things that make crooked the straight way of God. That's what Paul says in Acts chapter 13 about this one man who's Paul is preaching and teaching. And Paul is opposed by this man. He's, he's having some success with one of the Roman nobility or Roman officials in this city. And he looks at this man, his name is Elimas, and Saul, who was also called Paul, this is Acts chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, 
Paul, who was also called Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Elymas and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's in his face. This is Paul not being too gentle, right? Why? Because this is a wolf saying twisted things. Paul is giving the straight way of the Lord. He's giving the the whole gospel, the truth. He's giving the grace of God, the work of Christ. And this man is twisting it, distorting it. Paul has a warning to the church in Colossae, which is also exact, almost exactly like this. And he says, this is to the church in general, not just to the elders, but he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty Deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What Paul is saying, there's going to, to the, the church in Colossae, but he's also saying, there's going to be men who come into the church, and they're going to try to bring outside ideas into the church, add things to the scripture that's not in scripture. Take things that are in Scripture and distort them, twist them. It's very subtle in a way. This is, this is very, very serious. And Paul is telling them next, what are the weapons they have? What are these, what are these elders and pastors supposed to do? Their wolves are going to come in. You're not going to, they're not going to come and say, by the way, I'm a wolf. I'm going to try to kill the sheep and the people. I'm going to distort this truth about Scripture. I'm going to bring in some new ideas. They're not going to come in and announce that. What weapon does Paul say they have? He says very simply, you've got God on your side and you've got the word of God's grace. That's it. No, I'm going to bring out the weapons. I'm going to shoot you. No, like we'll call, we'll call the police and take you away. The weapon is this. And Paul basically summarizes what power they have in verse 32. He uses the word commend. He says, I commend you, meaning the elders, pastors in Ephesus, I commend you to God. God's going to help you. But he also adds, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. What's the weapon? The weapon is the truth of God's word. And the weapon is God himself. Sadly, some churches, we'll get into application later, but sadly, some churches go like, that's not enough. We've got we've to, you know, somehow add something that's more physical or whatever. He's saying, basically, be alert, stick to the word of God, the word of the God who preaches, who wants his ministers and elders to teach and preach the whole counsel of God all the truths in right proportion and teach it as grace. This is a gift to you that God has told you this. 
and God is with you. God is the power you need. And the word of his grace is the, the weapon. And it will build you up, he says in verse 32. Now, the word commend here in verse 32 says, I commend you to God. Don't confuse that with the word, well, I recommend you do this. This is not a weak sort of like, oh, I recommend God to you. Like, you know, if you got any spare time, I recommend you think about God. Or I recommend God's grace to you as if, you know, turn off the TV and, you know, maybe read the Bible a little. It's a much stronger word, the word commend. Is that you commit to something. You're committed to be husband and wife, hopefully. You're committed to get your taxes done on time, let's say. You don't just recommend somebody, well, if you have time, you know, it's time to pay your taxes. If you get around to it, no big deal if you miss it. No, you're, I commend you to pay your taxes. I commend you to keep your marriage vows. I commend you to God in the word of his grace, he's saying to the elders. It's a deep and serious idea which in this word of God's grace can build you up. So what's the conclusion from this passage? Well, just looking at the context and, and what Paul is saying, Paul, Jesus has given Paul to the world. Paul is an apostle called by Jesus Christ and gifted by him. He's established this church in Ephesus. And Paul himself has recognized that Christ and the Spirit has qualified these men in that church to be overseers. And Paul has acknowledged them. He's called them. He's not going to ever see them again. He knows that. So he's giving them his last words of advice. This is kind of like a last will and testament. Before I leave, I want to tell you some things on my deathbed. I love you. Goodbye, Faye. Goodbye, David. Whatever. Um, so these are serious words that Paul is giving to these men who he knew. And he's saying they have a crucial job to do for the church of Jesus Christ. And notice it's not evangelism he's talking about. It's not missionary work. It's to protect and guard the believers. It's not that you don't do missionary work, you don't do evangelism, but the primary focus is on guarding and caring for the sheep because there's going to be enemies coming in. Of course, Paul believes in the public proclamation of Jesus Christ. And those elders would have said, yeah, we have to be witnesses to the, the truth of Jesus Christ. We announce the reality. Christ suffered and died. He rose from the dead. And he's exalted in heaven. And all men, women, and children should acknowledge him and receive forgiveness of sins for their faith and repentance in that person. doesn't take long to say that. But the guarding and protecting of the sheep is a permanent job until Christ comes again. It is the ministry of the word of God and the supervision and oversight with authority from God of people. The other conclusion from this passage is that false elders and pastors come into the church to destroy souls. True elders, true pastors, should guard the church from those kind of elders and pastors. And the word of God is the only weapon they have. And Paul, in writing to Timothy, I call Timothy the first ordinary pastor. He's not an apostle. He's not doing miracles. So in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy to give him some pastoral advice for the church he's at. And he says this, 
in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you take the words there, the man of God, to be Timothy, it means an ordained pastor or elder. In other words, the word of God is all that a pastor or elder has, and it's also all that he needs. It's sufficient. Again, it's sufficient. Now, what are the applications for us? Well, Paul's not here. Um, the Ephesians aren't here. Now, here's, here's I've, got a, well, I've got seven applications. First, pastors and elders, Dave Kilmer and myself. This is, watch what God says to us. We have to hear the warnings here to be alert to ourselves and the commands to pay attention to all of you. All of you. No favorites, all of you. So when we try to do pastoral visits, it's 100% of you. Some of you haven't been seen in a while, we're coming around, but anyway. In other words, don't forget your job. It's not to be best buddies with somebody, not to go bowling with somebody. It's to minister to the souls of men, women, and children, period. To protect and nourish. Second applications. All the members of the church need to believe that you need a pastor and elders. This is not a voluntary group of like-minded people like you might have some sort of club you go to. Oh, we have the quilting club, or we have the, you know, the bowling club, and we have the, the, the softball team. This is not that. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He died for us. And everyone, pastors, elders, and all of you need to understand that having a false pastor or a false elder is extremely, extremely dangerous to your soul. Sadly, in the history of the church, many denominations have not disciplined ordained men who are false. They twisted the word of God they added to it or took away from it. Our denomination, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, left the mainline Presbyterian Church because they were ordaining men who didn't believe in the deity of Christ, for example, or didn't no longer preach the gospel. They preached, be good, do good, or something. So it is a very dangerous thing not to examine and continue to examine those who are in position of authority in the church do they have the right doctrine? Are they living a godly life? Not sinless, but a fairly godly life. Fourth application, and I've already said it, but it's still, the word of God is still sufficient for us. You don't need Jesus and the word of God plus for your soul's sake. You may need somebody to advise you how to fill out your taxes. You may need somebody to advise you on you know, financial decisions. You may need somebody to help you with educational opportunities you're trying to weigh. The Word of God, however, is going to be sufficient for your soul's nourishment. We also need to know that where the Word of God is not present, 
you don't have a church. This sounds obvious, but if you go down the street, I've been to funerals, no mention of the resurrection, no resurrection of the gospel, no quote of scripture, so-called church down the street. I'm not naming names, but it's true. There are so-called Christian churches that don't have the gospel, don't have the word of God anymore. The other application, the opposite of that, is we are people of the book. The book. We are people of the book. The whole book. Genesis to Revelation. We are people of the book. And by that word, we must be taught to obey it, to understand it. And we are taught by competent men, elders and pastors, who teach it to us. Negative application now. We are not a business. You are not buying something as you come here. We are, I'm not an executive managing this business to provide better services and more efficient services to you. This, is, this might seem obvious to you, but there are churches who think that way. We need a pastor who's going to handle the staff we have and... You know, we'll have this pastor who will do this ministry and this pastor who will do that services over there. And, and, you know, it becomes this organization chart. And people don't have any access to a pastor who really does the word of God both public and private. So we are sheep. We are all followers of Jesus Christ. This is not a business. What are we? We are the family and household of God which Jesus bought with his bloody death. Jesus is the shepherd. Not me. Not David Kelder, David Kilmer. This is Christ's church. Not your church or your church or my church. This is Christ's church. I should be not whispering, I should be shouting it because if you believe this is Christ's church, then you say, let him do what he wants with us. So we're not going to take a poll. I'm gonna say, we're not going to take a poll and say, what do you want this church to be? Oh, you'd like the church to have this, or you'd like to have the church to be this. No, we're not going to, we're never, over my dead body, will we ever do some sort of a poll and say, what do you want the church to be? It's not for you to decide. It is Christ's church, and his word tells his church what it should be. Now, if you want to come to me and say, it would be better if we did more of what Christ wants from Scripture, that's a different story. Come with your suggestions from Scripture. How we can be a more obedient church or a more edifying church. But don't come to me and say, I want, as in you want it, it's not Christ's idea. There are th I'm going to end with this summary. There are three organizations or institutions that God has invented. Family, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, children. Be fruitful and multiply to care for each other. Second is the civil government, the state, to protect the weak, to, to, 
to provide a form of justice in an unjust world to catch criminals and so forth. That's the primary function of the state. And the third is the church. All three are God's ideas. They're all his ideas. And we, need not, we should not confuse them. What's the church's function? It's to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world and to provide for those for whom Christ died by ministering the word and sacrament to them. That's the church's function. It's not to take over the United States of America. It's not to um, <laughs> develop some sort of club culture. We're going to have the bowling, Christian bowling league, the per, per Christian baseball league, and so forth. So, in other words, the church should not seek to be the government of the United States and understand that its power, the power of this church, is only to serve and declare the word of God, to serve the people and declare the word of God. It's ministerial and declarative. That's the power of the church. The civil government should not seek to be the church. We don't want the United States to tell the church what to do. We don't want the United States to favor the Presbyterians or favor the Baptists or favor the Muslims or favor the Jews. We want the United States of America to just leave us all alone. And the family should not seek to be the church. There are those who think, well, I'm the father, I'm the head of this household, and I'm the pastor. And I've, I've known of men who think they can do the sacraments for their own family. They don't need a church. There's a lot to be said about this, but the bottom line is Christ is the shepherd of this church. And if we all keep that in mind, he's providing for us to be sure through imperfect men but through his perfect word of God to care for you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Paul did seek out of his own wisdom and out of your leading to call those elders from Ephesus. We thank you that Luke has preserved the words he gave to them, sort of his last words. Not his last words because he wrote that letter that we call Ephesians, but this exhortation to those elders. We thank you that we can glean from it truths that apply to the church of every age. But Father, we long for Christ to return and make everything new. There are so many struggles, so many difficulties. There are wolves in your churches. We've seen some in this church who've come and gone. Father, we, we thank you for protecting us and may you continue to do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.